today? I want to say hello to those in Lakeville and gathered in our venue. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. This morning, we continue in our series uh, that we've called Set Free. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have absolutely been loving this series. And I was asked, I was asked by somebody this week why I've enjoyed teaching it so much. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I feel like we're doing gospel therapy to our soul every week. Because these issues that we're talking about are very practical. They're very real life. Uh, they're very significant. And who doesn't want to experience experience freedom. So here's kind of a, a recap of what we've talked about the last few weeks to kind of catch up to speed if you've missed a, a week or so. We've talked about the fact that Paul starts this book with the theme of freedom, that Jesus came to set us free to deliver us from the present evil age. And that's good news. That's great news. And we can have freedom because of that from the bondage of people-pleasing. Uh, that what people think about us can be a thing, but it doesn't have to be the ultimate thing in our life because ultimately we exist to please God. Secondly, we talked about the fact that we can be free from our past. Anybody excited about that one? Uh, that whatever it is in your past, whatever skeleton is in your closet, uh, Jesus has the power to set you free from that and can change our Lives. And then last week we talked about the fact that we can be free from culture, that everybody's swimming in culture and we're more influenced by it than we know. Uh, and Jesus has set us free from that so that we can do ministry in any culture because we're not a slave to any culture. And what I want for us as a faith family to, is to really experience the freedom that we have in Christ. And I just know about this, but to begin to live it and experience it in Christ. This morning, we come to another very, very crucial issue of freedom. And I'm telling you, it's where I bet every one of us lives at some point uh, in life, at some point during our week. And this morning, we want to be set free. So if you're able to stand in any of our locations, please do. As we pick up in Galatians 2 and verse 11, Galatians 2 verse 11, Paul's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Well, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and are not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? Because no, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Hey, faith family, will you pray for me? Will you? And would you pray for our time together now that God will speak to us and bring freedom in our life? Let's, let's pray together. Um, Father, I, I, I pray this often because we need to be reminded of it in this moment that we're not here for a talk. Uh, we're not here to listen to a man speak. We are here to encounter you. And I believe that you take your word and you do transforming things in our life. So would you do that in these next few moments? Oh God, that you would come by your spirit and bring freedom into the way we think, the way we live, that we would truly be free in Christ. We ask it in his name and God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, Bob Wiley and Dr. Leo Marvin had what you might call a very strange doctor-patient uh, relationship. You will remember these two from the movie, What About Bob? Uh, in the movie, Bob, who is played by Bill Murray, is a man uh, who's very disturbed, uh, to say the least. He has several different phobias, but he's made a, a real connection with Dr. Marvin. He, he really believes that Dr. Marvin will be able to help him. He, he thinks that he'll be able to solve his problems. But one of the things that Bob struggles with is separation anxiety. And so you can imagine how he responds when he finds out that Dr. Marvin is about to go on a one-month vacation. And if that wasn't bad enough, Dr. Marvin gave instructions that during this month, during his time on vacation, under no circumstances whatsoever is Bob allowed to make contact. But it doesn't stop Bob, does it? In fact, there are several different occasions where he tries to call him. In fact, on one occasion, he tries to act like he's Dr. Marvin's sister just to get through. And then he even pays Dr. Marvin a visit. But don't be mad. Bob, your behavior is completely inappropriate. You're angry. No, no, I don't get angry. Well, you're upset. <laughs> I don't get upset. Well, then let's have a little talk. Bob... I do not see patients on vacation, ever. How many ways can I make that clear? Now, what I'd like you to do is to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Well, getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on. I've come so far. Bob, I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Listen to me. Check Listen. it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob, please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob, need, Bob. I need, Listen, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay, me, okay. please. All right, all right, please. all right. All right, it's 2 o'clock. Go to the bus station, buy yourself a ticket home, and then wait for me in that coffee shop. All right, so here's the deal. Follow me on this. Watch. Bob knows the rules. He's been given 
clear instructions. Dr. Marvin could not have been clearer in the instructions he gave to Bob, yet Bob finds himself doing over and over again the very thing he knew he wasn't supposed to do. Which means everybody here, Lakeville and Venue included, is just like Bob. That is, every one of us lives with this disconnect between what we know we should do and what we actually do. Anybody struggle with that? We know what we should do, but we don't do it. And this happens in a variety of areas in our life. We know we should exercise, but how many of us do that consistently? Uh, we know, for instance, that uh, uh, it isn't in the budget, but yet how many of you have gone ahead and bought it anyways? Or we know that we should work less so that we can spend more time with our family, but how many of you actually slow down? We know that we should spend more time in God's Word and in prayer, but how many of us do that consistently? Here's my point. I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I know this about you. There is an area in your life, and you know you shouldn't. You know you shouldn't. In fact, you promised that you wouldn't, and you know it's not right. You know it's not healthy, but you want it so bad, and you end up doing the very thing that you said you wouldn't do. I'm tempted to do a show of hands this morning, but I won't. Do you understand? Everybody, everybody knows this is true. Everybody's like Bob. We know what to do, but we don't do it, do we? Now, before we get to the text, let me tell you what can happen in our lives because of that. What can happen is if we're not careful, we become a slave to our inconsistency. Here, here's what it looks like. I try to measure up, but I know I don't measure up. My inconsistency shows me that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to run that extra mile. I'm going to skip that meal. I'm going to spend an extra hour in God's word. Because I don't measure up, I'm going to try harder to measure up. And that's slavery. It is what the Bible calls law-based living. And it will destroy your freedom. So look at me, Lakeville venue, everybody. This morning, we are going to be set free from that bondage. We are not going to live that way anymore because God has called us to something else. And it's exactly, it is exactly what Paul deals with in Galatians chapter now, he starts here with an example in Peter's life of Peter's inconsistency. Pick up in verse 11. Uh, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. You want to know why I opposed him to his face? Because he deserved it. He stood condemned, and here's why. For before certain men from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
And the rest of the Jews acted, look, hypocritically, inconsistently along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, there's a lot of different reasons that people give as to why Peter uh, kind of pulled back uh, when the Jews came around. Uh, Some say that he thought his example would cause persecution uh, for those back in Jerusalem. Others say he pulls back because he's afraid of his own safety and the persecution that they might do to him. But but here's the thing. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter why he's pulling back. Paul's rebuke is the same. You ready? Here's the rebuke. Peter, what you know and what you're doing are inconsistent. Peter, you're a hypocrite. What you know and what you do doesn't line up. Now, for those of you that, that are sticklers to the text, and, and, and we should be, when Paul says here that he is out of step with the gospel, I think he means that Peter has slipped back into law-based living. He's slipped back under the law. That, In other words, watch this. He knows he's free from the law, but he's trying to act in accordance with the law for acceptance. And that is contrary to the gospel, dear friends. What did Peter know? Turning your Bibles or follow on the screen in Acts chapter 10. This is the background to Galatians 2 as to what Peter knew and why he's acting hypocritically. In Acts chapter 10 verse 9, it says this. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now, you're not the only one that falls asleep when you pray, right? You ever done that, that thing at night? Like, all right, our father who hardened, right? You just start snoozing. Well, Peter does that. He falls asleep in his prayer, and in that sleep, he gets a, a vision. He's in a trance, and here's what he sees. Verse 11, he saw the heavens open up, and something like a great sheet was descending, being let down from the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. It's the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of pigs in a blanket, all right? That's funny, right? If you don't think that's funny, just go ahead and leave right now, all right? But notice Peter's reaction. Listen to what God tells him to do. He says, verse 13, rise, Peter, kill and eat. A verse I've never struggled with. Verse 14, Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter doesn't understand. And the reason he doesn't understand is not because he's a picky eater. It's because according to the Mosaic law, he's not allowed to eat certain things. This, as far as Peter understands, is the right response. It is, after all, what Daniel did. Do you remember in the book of Daniel? Daniel says, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'll be happy to do what you want me to do, but I can't eat your food. It goes against the law of God. Peter thinks this is the right response. And there's a sense in which in the right time and place, it was the right response. Think of it this way. Uh, Imagine a parent and a child at a busy street wanting to cross. And the parent looks at the child and says, don't cross. Don't cross. Don't cross. And then after a while, when everything has gone through, all the traffic has passed by, the parent then looks at the child and says, cross. Is that a contradiction? 
No, don't cross was the right command for the right time. But now that something has gone through, you're under something new. And that's exactly what God is revealing to Peter. Because Jesus has come through, now you are free. Look at verse 17. Peter's inwardly perplexed as to what the vision means. But then some men who were sent by Cornelius show up at his house and they're standing at the gate. And they call out and ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them. Now, right here, Lakeville venue, everybody. You need to see the parallel between rise, kill, and eat, and rise, go down, and accompany them. Meaning this isn't about food, it's about people. Verse 23, and so he invited them in to be his guest. Everybody right here. Peter already knows what's right. He's already been set free. This isn't God giving him a better breakfast menu. Good news, Peter. Now you get to eat bacon. Woohoo! That's not what's happening. He's saying, Peter, you are free from the law. Galatians 2. Peter's trying to go back to the law. And Paul says, I will call your hypocrisy for what it is. You are inconsistent, not only with the gospel, but you're inconsistent with the law. You eat with them one minute and you don't eat with them the next. And if you think Paul has no right to call Peter out on this, it's like somebody will often come up to me after a sermon and they'll say, I am sure glad my spouse heard that. (laughs) And it's like, "Uh, maybe you needed it, all right? In other words, it's easy to point out other people's faults. So you might say, Paul, who are you to call out Peter here? Well, you do realize that Paul has already confessed his own struggle with this. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 19. We know this verse. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You're Bob. You're Paul. You're Peter. We all do this. One comedian was talking once about flying first class and uh, the opportunity that he sometimes get in, in, in flying first class. And, and I thought this was so insightful. He says, quote, every time I see a soldier on a plane, I think, you know what? I could give him my seat in first class. Uh, it would be the right thing to do. It would be easy to do and it would mean a lot to him but I never have. I've had so many opportunities, but I've never even seriously come close. Yet I still enjoy the fantasy. I was proud of myself for having at least thought of it. It was so nice of me to think of doing that and then never doing it. It's so true. My goodness, it's everywhere in life. You're a hypocrite. And so am I. 
We don't do what we know we ought to do, which is why when people say who don't go to church that they won't come to church because their church is full of hypocrites, I've told you to say what? There's always room for one more. (laughs) There ain't a person here that's consistent. Amen? We're all Bob. We're all Peter. We know that we don't measure up. We know this. Our life is so inconsistent. Now, right here, if you've zoned out, zone back in. If you've zoned out, I don't know how in the world you could have zoned out, but zone back in. (laughs) Your inconsistency is telling you something. If you'll be honest. Oh my goodness, this is so profound. Paul is brilliant. Because look at what he does next. Look at verse 15. Oh, this is so good. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is brilliant. I need you to listen to me because I want you to see how the flow of this text is going. It's so good. Why is Paul mentioning this rebuke of Peter? Is this kind of like a little footnote that's like, oh, by the way, Galatians, you're not going to believe this. This was awesome. One time I rebuked Peter to his face. Look at how cool I am. Is that what he's doing? No, no, no. The context of this book is that Paul is addressing the Judaizers, remember, who are saying to be right before God is Jesus plus the law. You with me? So Paul uses Peter to prove a point. This is the flow of the text, and it is brilliant. Follow They say, the Judaizers, that keeping the law makes you right before God. Two, well, let me tell you about Peter's inconsistency in living according to the law. Three, if anybody could do the law and obey the law, it would be us as Jews, not Gentiles. Verse 15, four, therefore Peter's inconsistency proves impossibility. The fact that he can't even get eating rules and dietary laws right, how in the world do you think he could keep the entire law? You know this. You can't even keep up with your exercise rules. You can't even keep up with your eating habits. You can't even keep up with your budgeting principles. What makes you think you're going to be able to live up to God's standard consistently every day? Do you see? Your inconsistency proves impossibility. To bring it home to us, the fact that you know you don't measure up proves you can't measure up. You can't do more in hopes that it will be enough because you know it's not enough. Which proves Paul's point, which is this. You can't be made right before God by yourself, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you, Peter's life proves it. In fact, your life proves it. 
The only way you're ever going to be right before God is someone else, not you. Your thinking that you can measure up is like the directions that, real directions that I found one time, uh, Google directions from New York City to Paris. Here are the directions. First, take Quincy Street, 0.4 miles. Merge onto Atlantic Avenue, 0.8 miles. Take a right on Central Street, 0.1 mile. Uh, then take a right on Long Wharf, 0.1 mile. And then for the next 3,462 miles, swim across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, we look at that and we know there's no way we could cover that gap. There's no way. Michael Phelps can't even do that, right? That is impossible. In fact, your attempts to try to be right before God by your own measuring up looks like this, right? You do your best. You, you, you get your energy up. You're like, I'm going to do this. Oh, stop, stop, right? I got it. You ready? Here's my best effort. Don't. Just admit it. You can't do it. I'm serious. I'm serious. Listen, listen, listen. If you ask most people, oh man, come on, God, teach us. If you ask most people, like, uh, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? You know, most people say, because I think I've done pretty well in life. That my good outweighed the bad. That's insane and you know it. Because your inconsistency proves your inability. So would you just be honest this morning and say, I can't measure up. Thank you. <laughs> One person's being honest. All right. Do you see the flow of the text? Peter's inconsistency proves impossibility. I mean, if anybody could keep the law, it'd be the Jews, especially Peter, Mr. Super Apostle. But he can't even do it. Why in the world do you think you will? But then Paul takes it to a whole other step. Oh, wow. This is big. Complicated verse, but simple teaching. Look at verse 17. Oh, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Oh, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Do you know what Paul has just said? Seriously, I need you to hear this. This is about to come right into Main Street where you live every day. If you know the law can't save, and you go back to the law to try to be saved, that is sin. Because Jesus fulfilled it. It's been torn down. So if I go back to it and try to build it back up, I am sinning. The profound point is this. Oh my goodness. You're not sinning by breaking the law. You're sinning by trying to keep the law. Did you hear that? You're trying to keep the law is sin. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. This is the entire book of Hebrews. You ready? Why in the world would you go back to the old covenant when you've got the new covenant? Why would you go back to animal sacrifices when you have the Lamb of God? 
Why would you go back to the Old Testament priesthood when Jesus is the great and ultimate high priest? Listen, that's not a bad idea. That's sin. Because something new has come through. And if you go back to that which has been torn down, that is sin. Which means for us, when you know you can't measure up, but try harder to measure up, you're not being good, you're committing sin. Why? Because you're not focused on Jesus, you're focused on you. The slavery that you're in is I know I don't do what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to try harder. That is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is sin. And it's why some of you are stuck in it every morning. Let me give you an illustration of it. This is from D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar. He gives these two examples of two different days, and it is so good. Day one, you wake up and it's rainy and cold outside. You wake up late and you're late for work, and you walk in the kitchen to an angry spouse, and there's nothing to eat. There's no clean socks. Your car won't start. You get to work late and your boss yells at you. Your coworker asks you a question about Christianity and you stumble in your answer. You come home to leftovers, the kids are fighting, and when you pray at the end of the day, you pray, God, this was a rotten day. I did not do my best. I will try and do better tomorrow. Bless all the people in the world. Amen. Day two. You wake up and the birds are singing and the sun is shining. Your clothes have been laid out for you, and you smell bacon cooking in the kitchen. Your spouse kisses you as you leave for work. The car starts right up. You get to work early, and your boss offers you a promotion. A coworker asks you a question about Christianity, and you amaze them at your knowledge of the Bible. You come home to a fresh-cooked meal. Your kids are on their best behavior, and when you finally pray, at the end of the day, you say this, Eternal and majestic Father... I humbly bow before thy throne of grace and thank thee for thine favor. And then you pray for every missionary you've ever heard of. Now listen. Then you go to bed justified. Why? Because you measured up that day. But what you don't see is that both days are sin because you're looking to yourself and not to Christ. Because you can't justify you. And your inconsistency proves it. And the fact that you keep running back to this every day is just a sign of your slavery. So what if there was a different way to live? Would you be fired up about that? Would would you be interested 
in a different way of living that's not stuck in this and the bondage of this, trying to do better in hopes that you'll measure up. Well, praise God, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's what Paul shows us here in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. Praise God. So that for the purpose of, I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says this is freedom. Freedom is this. I died to the law. I have died to trying to measure up. When? When Jesus died on the cross and his life is now my life. His life is now lived through me. Now that is both a declaration and a transformation. Here's what I mean. The declaration is this. His life has been accredited to your life. His righteousness, his obedience is now our obedience. We don't have to measure up because he already has. But here's the transformation, and I'm not going to let you forget this. Faith family, a few months ago, uh, it's been several months ago, we had a, a moment in this church that was, uh, it was paradigm shifting for us. And some of you will remember, it's when we talked about what it means to abide in Christ, that He is the true vine. And it's exactly what Paul is teaching us here as well. Let me remind you of John 15 and verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What did we learn there, and how does it relate to Galatians 2? Here it is. Listen. Lakeville venue, everybody. Um, the focus of the Christian life is not bearing fruit. The focus of the Christian life is Jesus the vine. Some of you, oh my goodness, you're so burnt out. You're in so much bondage and slavery. Why? Because you're trying to bear fruit on your own. Didn't bear much fruit yesterday. Got to bear more fruit tomorrow. No. No. It's pursuing Jesus. It's loving Jesus. It's wanting more of Jesus. It's studying God's Word to, to, to have intimacy with Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And what happens? The vine starts producing His life in us. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's freedom. That's freedom. So here's the summary of the text this morning. It's the sermon could have been a lot shorter statement, right? But it wouldn't have been nearly as much fun. Amen? Thank you. All right. Here's the summary. If you know you don't measure up, and you do, it's because you can't measure up. So stop living like you can measure up and accept by faith all that is yours in Jesus Christ, because that's freedom.
If you know you don't measure up and your inconsistency proves that, it's because you can't measure up. It's never been about you. So stop trying to live like you can measure up because you can't and simply live by faith in Christ and not yourself. In other words, say with me this morning, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this slavery. I'm tired of trying to measure up and live up. I don't want to do it anymore. I am no longer going to be focused on this. I am now going to be focused on this, for I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And I tell you what, dear friend, I'm after your freedom. And your freedom means stop carrying this around with you every day and start carrying this around with you every day. And when you start doing that, you'll start being free. You're just like Bob. And so am I. We're just like Peter. We are inconsistent and we know it. But the good news of the gospel is that this life has never been about what we do. It is about what Christ has done for us. So stop living a law-based life and accept the gospel reality that you've been crucified in Christ. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Wow, how my soul needs it. There are so many of us here today, and we know we're inconsistent. We know the hypocrisy that's in our own life. And we often try to bury it under good works. But that's slavery. This morning, you call us to freedom. You call us to experience what it's like to die to that and have life in Jesus. And to live out of all that he has done. Would you do that for us this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.